0: Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Core Voices. This is your space to use your voice, send us your questions, your topics, anything that you want to talk about, anything that we can share together to break those taboos, come out of the shadows and offer support to each other. This is your space. So please help us to amplify your voice and your messages. Today, we have an incredible guest joining us. She is a dear friend and a sister of mine. Valerie Gar is a seasoned civil rights activist and prophetic, prophetic voice at the forefront of progressive change. She burst into American consciousness after the 2016 election, when her watch night service address went viral with more than 30 million views, which is amazing. Her question, is this the darkness of the tomb or the darkness of the womb? That reframed the political moment and became a mantra for people fighting for change. As a lawmaker, as a lawyer, sorry, and a filmmaker and innovator, Valerie has helped win policy change on multiple fronts and now leads the Revolutionary Love Project to champion love as a force for justice. She founded Groundswell, the Yale Visual Law Project and Faithful Internet, a daughter of sick farmers in California. Valerie earned degrees at Stanford University, Harvard Divinity School and Yale Law School. Valerie's new book, See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love, expands on her blockbuster TED Talk and hits the shelves in a few days. And I'm so excited to talk about this today with my beautiful sister, Valerie. Valerie. Oh Jasvir,
1: I'm so happy to be here with you. It brings me so much joy. I have missed you so fiercely during this pandemic and the fact that we have to be apart at precisely the moment when we need each other more than ever and the ways that you have reached out to me and held me in this time. I just feel your sisterhood giving me energy and making me brave every hour, every day as we make our way through this dark, dark time. So
0: to see you now and to spend this moment with you now, it brings me so much joy. I'm so grateful. Oh, Valerie, you have no idea how much I've missed you. (laughs) I'm I'm so proud to see everything that you're doing. I feel like you're doing work for the whole calm and you're doing it by yourself. Like this, like together, together. (laughs) But it's, it's amazing for us to see for me, especially, it gives me hope, it gives me courage. And that's what I want everybody else today to experience. The bond that we share, the love that I have for you is is endless. And I need people to know how important this, this seva is that you're doing for the world. And I want to know how we can come in and support you more because this is what Sikhi is about. It's about coming together, understanding where our energy is needed. And I think that you have been a magnificent example of that. So I'm so excited today to share this conversation with you.
1: You know, the last
0: um, few weeks, I have been cycling
1: through so much of my own grief um, and rage and fatigue Mm. and trauma and glimmers of hope. Um, I'm speaking to you from Los Angeles where... We are so close to the revolution that is underway in the United States right now, which has become a global uprising for black lives, really a moment that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. And I've been really close, really close to the call of Guru Nanak in this time. What it, you know, when he says, if you wish to play the game of love with me, step forth with your head on your palm, Mm. What does that mean for us as Sikhs to love so fiercely, so bravely that we might risk our lives for others when they are having an officer's knee on their neck? Mm. So I think we as Sikhs were made for a time such as this to follow the Guru's path in um, when he calls us to be Sansapai, warrior sages, if not now, then when? And so I know you've been saying you've been doing this work along. No, 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 no. I, I have seen so many of my six sisters and brothers and siblings stand up in the streets holding Black Lives Matter signs, mm-hmm. doing Lunger and Seva, giving, uh, feeding people at the protests and feeding people who are trying to survive in this pandemic. I have seen us um, present ourselves to the world no longer as victims of, of mm-hmm. hate, which is, has been the dominant frame of how we've been presented for so long. But no, we are showing that we are Um, our gurus six that we are agents of revolutionary love and so this is a time when i when i'm dealing with my own (laughs) i just hold fast i hold fast to my sisters and brothers i'm holding fast to you the way each of us is showing up in our own ways in our own lives right now all together um it, it really gives me so much energy
0: Thank you for sharing that. I I saw from one of your posts um, like a few weeks ago, so you're in Los Angeles, I'm in London. Um, I was a little bit concerned when I saw that there was National Guard out on the streets of LA. Um, I can't imagine what that must feel like. And ha- how, how are you? Yes, we had... Um
1: National Guard, rifles out, assault vehicles uh, in front of my son's preschool. Covey is five. Oh, my gosh. Um, preschools in Santa Monica. We had a National Guard station, rifles out in front of the cafes where I wrote most of this book just down the street. And I was so – and I was helicopters at night and shaking the house, and there were sirens, and there were popping sounds in the distance. And so for about one week, I – was really feeling this palpable fear. I mean, are, are we safe here? Am I safe here with my little brown children? And I was less afraid of the looting and more afraid of the militarization of my neighborhood and my home. And I thought about you know what Black mothers must feel every day who have to raise their babies in neighborhoods with such a strong and overwhelming and oppressive police presence. So as I, as I was trying to have perspective, I was also trying to figure out how to mother in this time. And you know what, just so I, I call you just so. <laughs> so I'm your veto and you're my Justo. So. Yeah. this is how I, I will call you even now as we're sharing this conversation with people. I yes. I got in the car for the first time in days um, with Gavi in the back seat mm-hmm. and just to see what was happening in our neighborhood after so many days of sheltering in place and waiting for, for the chaos to die down. And Gavi was looking out the window, and I was so worried. I was like, he's going to see the guns. He's going to ask these questions. And he had this look of astonishment on his face. And I followed his eye line, and I realized what he was looking at were not the soldiers. What he was looking at were the graffiti on the streets of Abbot Kinney, that our our street had been totally transformed, pictures of George Floyd and Trayvon and Breonna Taylor, Uh, Black Lives Matter in in hearts and he saw the hearts everywhere and this kind of revolution and he looked at me he says mommy did you do this (laughs) (laughs) because all he hears me talk about his revolutionary love and what do six do to fight for social justice he's like mommy did you do this i said we, we did this we did this there are millions of people rising up right now flooding the streets raising our voices for justice in this Incredibly forceful, vibrant, courageous act of revolutionary love, and I thought if that's what he remembers about this time. Oh, then <laughs> he'll be okay. So I'm okay. I'm okay. And now that and now that the violence has died down, and we as activists have really reclaimed the narrative in the United States, at least that we 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 are um, pushing the nation to dream beyond resisting police brutality. To actually reimagining what policing looks like and what public safety looks like and what prisons look like in the United States, and I see that that shift from resistance to reimagining to remaking the world, anchored in justice. That that is something we have never seen before mm-hmm. in our history as a people. Um, and so i i I want to be I want to be around for that. You know, I want to last for that. And so I, I have to think about what helps me breathe every day so that I can return to the labor. And honestly, our sisterhood is one of those things that help me breathe every day so we can return to the labor.
0: Oh, Viru, I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm so glad <laughs> that Gavi has that love in his eyes and that's what he saw. You know, that gives me hope as well. But I'm, I'm also glad that things are settling down and we have a chance to be part of this change, this revolution that's happening. And I guess I would like to say thank you to you for giving me this sisterhood as well. Mm. When we met, I don't even know how many years ago, <laughs> I feel like I've known you for lifetimes. <laughs> what rang in my ears and really touched my heart was what you said when you were talking about my bar go on that stage in Phoenix, in Arizona, and you said, she became the one that she was waiting for. And still that gives me shivers in my spine that yes. And you took me under your wing and you brought me into this magnificent space of sisterhood. You created something that I dreamt of, the Maipago circle. And I'd like you to share with us what it was that inspired you to create that space and what does that space mean? Oh, it's everything right now. I remember,
1: I remember our meeting was so significant in my life because it was the end of a story that I had been telling myself, that to be a sick woman who was fighting for justice and being out in public doing it was a lonely thing to do, That I was alone here. And I would see my other six sisters at a distance, you know, I would see Sapreet and I would see Satjit and I would see Narenjin and I would see Joe and I would see them out. But we were always kind of with each other when we were in the trenches, in the midst of the crisis, you know, in the aftermath of Oak Creek or in the aftermath of the next hate crime. We never had really time together to sit with one another and and love each other well Mm -hmm. and say oh my love you you are struggling and you are fighting but you are not fighting alone and so the story about loneliness started to disappear when we first met because i as i I told the story of my pago on that stage i I, in the way that i told it you know is the way that my papaji my nanaji would tell me There was a great battle and 40 soldiers abandoned their post. And my bago, the sick woman said, you will not abandon your post. You will return to the fire and I will lead you. And she dons a turban and she mounts a horse and with a sword in her hand and fire in her eyes. She leads them where no one else would go. She became the one she was waiting for. And Papaji always used to say, don't abandon your post. He was a military man too, right? So he was like, don't abandon your post, Beta. Don't abandon your post, my dear. And I didn't know just how hard it would be to keep my post. Because as a sick woman who, you know, fighting for justice, it felt like I was fighting on three different, at the same time. Fighting racism against our community, our sick brothers and husbands and sons and uncles and grandfathers specifically. So we're fighting racism against our community and then we're fighting against invisibility even among progressive circles where they can't even say our names or is it sick or Sikh and what is that? And so we're constantly trying to explain ourselves even among our allies. And then within our own community, we're fighting on the front of sexism and misogyny. So fighting on different fronts at the same time can be exhausting and I could not, keep my post. I could not keep my promise to Papaji if I was going to continue to tell myself that I was alone. And so when I met you, you know, you say that I I took you under my wing, but you took me under your wing too. You handed me my beautiful Bilrabah. And you said, you are a daughter of the Guru. And this Bilrabah is your inheritance. You don't have to wait for other people to play Kirtan for you to experience it. You can sing yourself, you can play the Shabbat yourself, you can become an instrument and let Guru's message and Bani just echo through you and it was liberating just so, it was liberating it it was how you gave that Dilruba to me I think shortly uh, before the, the 2016 election before this president took power in our country mm-hmm. and it has been so dark and so hard and so violent and so difficult and I have kept my Dilruba and played, you know, I play the scale really well. (laughs) I play my scale, I'm still a very slow learner, but I play my scale and I could feel, I could feel our our Guru's instrument helping put breath in my body. Mm -hmm. So if you could do that for me as just two sisters, then I thought, why don't we bring our six sisters together in a circle? And we called it the Maipago circle. It was just a pilot. So it was just, we were just experimenting, but we've done it every single year in this pilot program where I think I see women like you and women in other fields so that we're, we're in music and we're in public health and we're lawyers and we're organizers and we're faith leaders and we're professors and we're, we're in business. We're all, kind, diff- we're all in different locations. And yet all of us are drawing our strength from Sikhi and trying to do Seva and fight for justice, mm-hmm. social justice. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, we are, we are the Maibagos for a new time. <laughs> but what is our sword? Our cameras are our sword. Our pen is our shield. Our our um, our dilraba you know, is on our back mm. as we go into battle. I remember you you actually sent me a a, um, a bag. I was like I was like just so this Dilraba is too heavy to carry on the plane. I can't carry it as I'm going to this city and that city. And you just sent me a bag. He's like here, my love. Put it on your back. The guru designed the Dilraba small enough so you could wear it on your back before you go into battle. And the world is your battlefield. And so I would go through the airport with my Dilriba on my back, and my (laughs) camera, and my pen. So I had my sword, I had my shield, and I had my Mm Dilruba. And that's how you taught me how to go into battle. But we don't give birth alone, and we don't go into battle alone. We need each other, and we need, I needed my sisters. And so I see a whole generation of my Bagos of our time. And if we can see each other and affirm each other as the Mm -hmm. my Bagos for this era, Oh, then how might we change this world? How much bravery and energy and wisdom might be we might be released? So we are building, we're building the circle um, through the years. And uh, my excitement is that I see a younger generation, even younger than us, who are also doing this in their own communities, in their own sanghits. And uh, oh, the strength of Six Sisterhood has been one of the greatest, greatest gifts of my life. And it's the gift that you... Gave me, you were the first to give me.
0: <laughs> I want to that. That. it the and It means the world to me to have had that gift. It meant so much to me to meet a Sikh of my Guru who's willing to walk the walk. That takes courage. Mm-hmm. I meet a lot of people on my journeys, as do you. There's very few who rise to the occasion and say, you know what, I'm with you, shoulder to shoulder. That's how it was at the time of the gurus. People didn't hesitate. They didn't um and and, you know, contemplate, what are the pros and cons about making this decision? It was like, I'm in or I'm not in. And most of the times when it came to Sikhi, it was in. And I think now we have a different lens on how we judge what Sikhi is. For me, Sikhi is about action. And the more we can commit to actually connecting with the authenticity of the gurus, like it was... It was so deeply fulfilling and inspiring for me to see somebody like yourself who I admired before I met you. I mean, I love you, okay? But before I met you, I loved you. And mm. to know that when I when I shared with you the history of our gurus, you didn't hesitate. You said, I need a Dilruba. <laughs> and I was like, Yes, I found my sister. I found my sister, I found that warrior spirit that I'm looking for, that I can I can mirror and we can bounce off each other and support each other. And I've longed for you all my life. <laughs> and to learn from you, to share with you, to do Sangat with you. For me, that's what Sikhi is. And it changed what it was, how it was taught to me that it it has to happen in a Gurdwara, it has to happen in a particular way. You have to look a particular way or act a particular way to have that label of a Sikh. And I'd like to ask you how your journey was as a young brown Punjabi woman who was trying to connect with her identity of Sikhi. Mm. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't easy. But I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are listening who need to hear what you have to say because they're, they're feeling the same way. Hmm. So I grew up on the farmlands of Clovis
1: in California's Central Valley, on the farmlands that my G had farmed when he first arrived in America, in California, more than a century ago. So my dadaji I called G. Sailed by steamship from Punjab in nineteen thirteen to California. and he arrived at Angel Island. And, you know, Ellis Island was the symbol of welcome for European immigrants on the East Coast. Mm. But Angel Island was the symbol of racial exclusion uh, for Asian immigrants on the West Coast. And it was a time of really violent white nativist forces. Um, I, I share this history because I think few, not many Sikhs in America really know how long we've been here and the depth of our history. And And I grew up with the story of Babaji arriving um, at a time where there were very few Sikhs to try to make a life. And mm-hmm. I discovered later that he was um, taken in Angel Island and put behind bars and scheduled to be deported, um, that the immigration officials here were trying to deport as many Sikhs laborers as possible. They were citing their racism to justify their racism. They said, well, surely no one who looks like him, no one who looks like these Punjabi laborers, turban sick laborers, they call them Hindu at the time, right, the Hindu invasion, the tide of turbans is the fear mongering that they were pursuing. They said, well, no one who looked like them could um, have a job in the United States that there will be a public charge. And so they he would have been deported mm-hmm. if it weren't for a white man, a white lawyer named Henry Marshall who filed a writ of habeas corpus to release Babaji. And he left that prison, that cell, on Christmas Eve of 1913. He made his way down and settled in California's Central Valley. He, in Clovis, he, he slept in barns and would fall asleep in um, crates to keep his body safe from the snakes. Um, he, he, he worked for a few pennies a day. And, uh, and he built these beautiful and deep bonds with the other immigrant laborers. And so fast forward during World War II when Babaji's neighbors, Japanese Americans, were rounded up and incarcerated in the, the camps of, of Arizona in the deserts um, because they were seen as the enemy. Babaji uh, looked after their farms and went to visit them when no one else would. And we, he actually brought back um, he brought us, see if I have it with me. He, he brought back this beautiful, here, it's right here. Let me show it to you. Yes, we want to see. He brought back this beautiful piece of petrified wood from the deserts of Arizona. And this piece of wood was on my fireplace all growing up. And I would touch it. And now, Kavi, it's on our fireplace. So I have Kavi, touch it, touch it. Because look, my love, this mm-hmm. is this is ancestral. This mm-hmm. is our... Uh, this is our ancestral wisdom. Babaji showed us what it meant, not just to be an American. Babaji, Babaji showed us what it meant to be a Sikh, hmm. to be able to see his neighbors as not just neighbors or strangers, but as, you know, hmm. I see no stranger. I see no enemy, said Guru Nanak. You are a part of me. I do not yet know. Guru Nanak taught that we can look upon any face and say, you are a part of me. I do not yet know. And so Babaji struggled for his neighbors as if they were his own brothers and sisters. And so I grew up <laughs> with this deep connection to um, to America as home. You know, as a third generation little girl, my my father was born on the same land that Babaji farmed. I was born on that land. And I knew that Babaji had to struggle for so many decades against laws that prevented him from becoming a citizen or owning land in his own name. But he fought with a generation of of advocates who Eventually, we were able to change the laws in the United States. And I thought that our story was done. Like, I thought, I thought that progress had been won so that, and that sacrifices were made so that we could live free in our country. And I didn't know how much harder and longer the labor would be. But I think that growing up with these stories of, you know, my, my ancestral stories here in America, but also my Papa G, my, my nanaji, my other grandfather really helped raise us. In our home, and he would give me the stories of Nanak and my Pago and Guru Gobind Singh Ji. And so, all of that was just infused in me of what it meant to be a Sikh American. And I didn't really feel a conflict between those two identities until I started going to school. And like so many Sikh children, I was, you know, I heard racial slurs on the schoolyard. I remember being called a black dog when I was six years old. and it was my first confrontation of cruelty. And I would go home crying and Papaji would just, you know, let me cry in his shoulder and then stroke my, my hair. And he would recite, Tati ramka duk lage na pai. He would give me his favorite prayer, his Shabbat for fearlessness, for bravery. And he would tell me again, the stories of what it means to be a Sikh, to be able to be so brave in the face of violence and cruelty so brave that you would walk into the fires of this world with a warrior's heart and a saint's eyes, to be a sansapai, to be a warrior sage, to fight for yourself and to fight for others with everything you got. I was a little girl with two long braids who liked to ride tractors (laughs) and look at the stars. And Papaji saw me as a warrior. It's like, no, my love, don't abandon your post when I was a little girl. (laughs) And so I think that is what really gave me the, um, the, the, it gave me a path to walk. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward when I was 20 and in the aftermath of September 11th, when there was so much hate violence against our Muslim brothers and sisters and Mm -hmm. our own people, to see Bobir uncle, Bobir Singh Sodhi, the first person killed in a hate crime after 9-11, someone my family knew, it was his murder that uh, made me a civil rights activist. But it was sikhi that was already infused in my heart, my body, my bones, my being that made me brave enough to respond to his murder by going into the fires.
0: That's incredible. (laughs) I think think it's a gift when we have have grandparents grandparents who guide us and who plant those seeds of sikhi. That's a real gift. And it shows the siki within you. It oozes out of your words. It's in your eyes. It's in everything that you do. And that's, that's truly what I love about you, Valerie. Viro, my Viro. <laughs> brave warrior, right? A brave warrior princess. Aww. That matters to me. And I think we're, we're in an era where there's a change that's needed, a change in how we as a community see each other and how we support each other, right? To know that good work takes courage. It takes the heart of a Sikh to step into the fire and say, I'm willing to fight somebody else's battles, just like your papaji did, right? Just like our gurus did. It's not an easy task. It's not easy to do that. It's very, very convenient to sit back in our comfort zones and say, it's okay. It's not my problem. It's their problem. But for me, that's not what Sikhi is. and. (laughs) And this is our time, this right? Is- the world
1: needs to keep. The world needs our bravery. The yeah. world needs our swords and shields. The world needs our seva. The world needs our love, which I call revolutionary love. The world needs us more than ever. And you know, I, 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 I don't know how many of you, I don't know if you watched the video of George Floyd's murder. It was so difficult to watch just hearing mm-hmm. him call for his mother and who, who was dead calling for his dead mother, saying, I can't breathe, not just one minute, not three, not five, not but eight minutes. And, you know, my eye wasn't just on the the officer who was pressing his knee to neck. My eye was on Officer Thao, Mm -hmm. Asian-American officer who was keeping the protesters around him at a distance Mm -hmm. to let the white officer slowly and, and... Slowly kill George Floyd, Mm -hmm. and I thought, you know, we as six, we have a choice. Are we, are we like Officer Thao? Are are we the ones who are following the rules and keeping our heads down? And you know, it's not. There's no blood on our hands, and we're just doing our jobs. And we have harvested our privileges. Racism is a white and black problem. It's not our problem. We have our own problems. Are we are we like Officer Thao standing by and letting the black people in our lives die from yeah. either from a deadly disease or from an officer's knee on their neck? Right from public health crisis or from state violence or from hate violence, black people in America are disproportionately being killed by the way that our society is structured. Are we standing by and letting that happen? Yes. Or. Yeah. Are we the guru six? Are we my bago? Yes. Are we saying, oh everybody, what we can't abandon your post? This is not the time to hide now and shelter in place and, and shelter your heart in place and your brain. No, this is a time to face what's happening and and fight for our sisters and brothers as if they were our own flesh yes. and blood. Not just because it's our duty, but because we love them, because that's what love means, because that what that's what Nanak called us to to love so fiercely that we would be willing to risk our lives for it the way that our gurus mm-hmm. did. The way that our gurus did. Yes. So what I am okay. I, I, asking myself, I'm asking my family, I'm asking, what have we not yet done that we are now ready to do? How can we push ourselves in ways that we have not pushed ourselves before? Mm-hmm. OK, we've been taking longer out of the gurdwara into the streets. That's really good. And that is so powerful. We're holding a sign. That's really good. And that's so powerful. What have we not yet done in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, mm-hmm. in our communities to advance the wellness and the dignity and the freedom of Black people in our lives?
0: Hmm. I, I love that you're thinking this way. And this is the perspective that we should be thinking. This is what guru nanak wanted us to do right manas ki sabe ek that's what guru gobind singh writes that as a human race we are one we are united right but there's we have flaws in our community but we don't talk about them and it's it's going to step on toes for people but i'm not concerned about those toes because i think they need to be stepped on because we have to be woken up and there's a lot of people in our community that I've even spoken to who don't like they're They're, they're saying the slur, I am not racist. How can I be racist when I'm Indian? Huh.
1: I'm, <laughs> oh, think, think about the slang know. that we use at our kitchen table. <laughs> right, think about our own colorism. Think about the fair is beautiful boxes where we're supposed to dye our skin in our, think about, think about how much we have internalized Mm-hmm. anti-black racism I think I've heard the worst stuff at my own Thanksgiving holiday tables <laughs> when I was growing up I mean my extended family because it, and, it, and everyone is good and everyone is not racist and yet we have we have just absorbed the stereotypes that are just swimming we're breathing them in all of the time in America it's black people are criminal
0: mm-hmm.
1: brown people are illegal Muslims are terrorists, queer people are immoral, indigenous people are savage, women, are, gr- women and girls are property. Right. We, we could say that we're not sexist or we're not racist, but this is before conscious thought. All the data and the neuroscience tells us that we carry implicit bias before we even have time to think about the face that we see in front of us. And so if we see a Black person in front of us and we're already seizing up or trying to cross the street or looking away or assuming that we have to be afraid, then how are we expected, and we're not aware of it, then how are we expected to be sansapai defending Black people when we're not willing to reckon with how we've absorbed that kind of bias inside of ourselves, Mm. inside of our hearts, inside of our homes, at our kitchen tables, in our gurdwaras. And it does require some bravery. You're right you know to break our silence just like i'm i'm seeing how uh, our this generation of 6 in, in america have really really started to break their silence around misogyny yeah. and sexism and assault in our communities it's hasn't me too hasn't completely swept us up but i'm seeing bravery in ways i haven't seen before with this generation mm-hmm. i'm seeing the same around calling out racism and colorism inside of our community too mm-hmm. and breaking silence around that and it, it it gives me hope because I feel like we're just one step closer and one step further along the
0: path that the guru laid out for us. And the work, the seva that guru has written for you, is has been to help us, even as a sick as the sick community and as the wider community of humanity, connect with. For me, what you talk about is ikonkar. That's how my ears hear it. Yeah, and there is something amazing happening in a few days, where the work that you've put in Mm is coming out to share with us, with the rest of the world. You've written an amazing book called See No Stranger, right? Do you have it? I I have it. (laughs) The box arrived a few nights ago. I just posted it
1: and um, Yeah, here's here's this is my, oh my third God. child. <laughs>
0: okay, I'm, gonna, <laughs> and I'm gonna
1: and I have this book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to share in just a second because I want everybody to know that this is a lifetime of work that's gone into compiling messaging and support for this exact moment of time when I'm asking myself the question: How can we do something different? My first step is I need to read that book. I need that book. And this book releases this Tuesday. See No Stranger is going to be available. And I'm asking everybody who's listening and who's not listening, reach out to your friends, to your families, to your neighbors. We all need to read this book. If you want to connect with the message of oneness that Guru Nanak gave us, this amazing book has that guidance as to how we can apply it practically. So please, please, I'm asking you go to seenostranger.com Buy a book for yourself and buy one as a gift. That can be your step towards activism, to just share somebody, let them be armed with knowledge to know how to do it. And Valerie, I know I'm just taking the space, but I want you to show us the book properly, please. I want to see it. And I want you to tell us about it. Um, I wrote this book as an act of survival. Mm.
1: When this president took power in 2016, I had a existential crisis. (laughs) At that point, I had been a civil rights activist, lawyer for 15 years. And since I was in college and with every film and with every campaign and with every lawsuit, I thought we were making the country safer for the next generation. My son had just been born. And I was putting Kavi to sleep at night and realizing that he was growing up in a country more dangerous for him as a little brown boy with a patka than it was for me or than it was for my dadaji when he arrived a century ago. Mm. And so I just just had this moment of crisis and I knew that I had to, if I was going to last, if I was going to stay in the labor, stay in this labor for justice that I needed to return to the heart of Sikhi. And I got a gift that few women who are mothers and activists get. I I got a a little bit of of a book advance that allowed me to uh, take time to read and write and think. I I got a room of my own. And I spent a year with my family in the rainforest in Central America. And in the morning, we would hike through the rainforest. In the afternoon, I would sit at my desk and I would watch the mist float through the valley. You were there just so. You visited me during this year writing. And I would pour through the stories of my life. I kept a journal since I was seven. So I just read everything that I had written since I was seven years old. And I poured all through the stories of Sikhi and through Guru Granth Sahib and all the stories my Papaji would teach me when I was little and all the Shabbats that meant something to me. And then I poured through all the social movements that I had studied and been part of. And what emerged for me was this call of revolutionary love. When Guru Nanak said, Nako bagana, I see no stranger. He was calling us to a path of revolutionary love revolutionary love is when you are brave enough to see no stranger when you are brave enough to grieve and bleed and fight and breathe and push for each other when you're brave enough to step into the labor of loving others even those who are different from you in order to transform the world and birth a new world for all of us where no person is disposable that's the path of revolutionary love and when I started writing this book I thought well if love is not just a feeling if love is labor mm-hmm. you know fierce bloody imperfect life giving if love is labor mm. then it can be taught it can be modeled it can be practiced and so i started spinning this tapestry so you'll see just so when you read it it is a tapestry of stories it's it's guru nanak to guru Gobind to my bago it's oak creek and baba punjab singh and his son Raghvinder virji it's it's rana sodi the brother of babir singh sodi and the sodi family and their process of reconciliation and it's 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 Guantanamo Bay and it's US prisons and it's the streets where the blood is still fresh on the ground of the aftermath of the hate crime or the mass shooting it is the stories from my own life and my own struggles and my own survival of sexual assault and physical assault and police brutality it is all of these stories woven together into this tapestry and i'm offering these stories to invite people into thinking about what it might mean for them to walk this path of revolutionary love. The wisdom in this book is meant to connect with the deepest wisdom inside of you. And really uh, there are these 10 chapters and 10 core practices of revolutionary love. Mm -hmm. And you'll see really it is just my offering as a Sikh to um, take Guru Nanak's call and interpret it for a new time, a new era and a new generation.
0: Oh my God, okay. I'm going to buy like all of the copies. So if you're watching, go and pre-order now because after the show, I'm buying all of them.
1: And I I have to tell you just so it means a lot for people to pre-order it. Um, I'm releasing this book during a global pandemic (laughs) and a revolution. So Mm. my book tour is canceled. Media bookings are gone. Um, Bookstores are closed. Everything that we had planned, to offer this book to the world, it has never been harder to release a book. And it has never felt more urgent to introduce people to this concept of revolutionary love and to the stories of our faith. So I am really leaning on my Sangat more than ever before to take a book and if there are people in your life if there are young sick leaders or student leaders, if they are graduates or educators or faith leaders from other traditions, if they are neighbors, um, to to share this book with them and to to hand this book to them too. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody. Everybody. Everybody
1: yeah, and I, I also want to be clear that this is very much like, you know, I am also on the path. I am. I am. Um, you'll see in in the book that I am vulnerable and I struggle and I am imperfect and I make mistakes. And so this book is not to, it's not meant to represent um, the sick faith to the world. No, it's, it's, it's meant to offer my own lived experience and my own internal struggle and my own internal sources of wisdom and support. Um, And so that's where I hope it'll, it'll be sort of like a companion, um to you or to anyone who needs a little bit of nourishment in in this time
0: well, thank you i wanted, I wanted to, to shout out to He's just released he his order Rav. on the uk site yes please. ah yes
1: it's released at the
0: u in the uk at the same time so really? that's yeah mm-hmm. in okay, the US this is in the gonna be a race order it before i order <laughs> the ball <laughs> If you're ordering the book, please share it with us. That, that's so heartwarming. Thank you for the support. This is what we need as a gom to come together and support good projects like this. The book is full of so much wisdom, and I, I already know that. Um, I was, I've was i been with you in certain parts of your journey, and I've experienced the things that you've talked about. But for those people who are yet to learn about you, can you help them understand what it is to wander? Mmm.
1: Vismad, right? Vismad. I, I, I'll read a piece from the book. It's a, the first practice of revolutionary love. And out of the 10 is really something that I think that Sikhi offers that um, is very special. And that is this idea that love is rooted in the act of wonder, the state of vismad. So I tell Guru Nanak's story. I talk about how, in the first chapter, I talk about how he was troubled by the violence around him, disappears on the bank of a river, people thought he was dead, drowned, but Nanak emerged on the third day with a vision of oneness, ik om the oneness of humanity and of the world. This vision threw him into a state of ecstatic wonder, vismat, and he began singing songs of devotion called shabads, praising the divine within him and around him. In other words he was in love. Mm -hmm. Love made him see with new eyes. Everyone around him, he could look upon anyone around him and say, you are a part of me. I do not yet know. I see no stranger, said Nanak. I see no enemy. Guru Nanak taught that all of us could see the world in this way. There is a voice inside of each of us called home, the eye that names itself as separate from you. It resides in the bowl that holds our individual consciousness. But separateness is an illusion. When we quiet the chatter in our heads through music or meditation or recitation or song, the boundaries begin to disappear. The bowl breaks. For a moment, we taste the truth sweet as nectar. We are part of one another. Joy rushes in. Long after the moment passes, we can choose to remember the truth. We can choose to see no stranger. When Papaji was humming the Shabads day and night, he was not praying as much as practicing a constant communion with all things. Mm -hmm. It was his way of remembering the truth, rehearsing his wonder. What does it mean to wonder about others? to move through the world through the eyes of wonder is to move through the world with humility and openness. Because if I see you and I choose to wonder about you, then I might let your story into my heart. I might let your grief into my heart. I might let your pain into my heart. And if I choose to love you, then I must fight for you when you are in harm's way. Mm. And so that's why the sick ideal is the Sapai, the warrior sage. The warrior fights, the sage loves. It is a path of revolutionary love. Papaji, my warrior sage, my Sapai. <laughs> he went into the fires of this world with the eyes of a sage and the heart of a warrior. He was teaching me how to do that too.
0: Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. You're just making me want to... Like, if I could reach into the camera and take the book, I wanted to... I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> i have to wait okay
1: you know and i recorded the audiobook uh in my bedroom closet because all the studios were shut down during the pandemic so i was sitting in the closet by myself for seven days all day and oh i was gosh. reading and i was reading and i was reading and i think the great the the beautiful thing um in the back of the book there are select shabids that uh are referenced throughout the text and we have them in their gurmukhi and mm. transliteration and, the, and my translation so um if you listen to the audiobook then you hear that too as well as all the stories <laughs>
0: oh I can't wait I'm, I'm gonna buy both I'm gonna get <laughs> audio book and then I'm gonna call you I'm gonna say can you just give me the live reading <laughs> <laughs> for you um, just so
1: I'm here anytime <laughs> I love you
0: I think, as you said, wonder is something, Vismad is something that's beautiful. How is the lack of wonder Mm -hmm. related to reducing violence?
1: Violence begins with the failure to wonder. It's a failure of imagination. As soon as we look upon the face of another and say, you are... piece of property or you are a foreigner or you are a stranger or you are a criminal or you are undocumented or you are disabled or you are fill in the blank Mm -hmm. then that allows us to do anything to them as soon as we stop seeing another person as a human being who has as much complexity and internal dimensionality and interior that we do experience in ourselves as soon as we shut down our ability to wonder, then we can just stand by as they are incarcerated, Mm -hmm. detained, deported, separated from their families, killed in the streets, lynched in the streets. Mm -hmm. So I I believe that the bravery it takes to fight for others to see no stranger begins Mm -hmm. in this choice to say, no, you, no, no, George, you, Floyd, you are my brother. Yeah. And Brianna, tell you, you are my sister mm-hmm. and your children are my children. And if, if you are my family, then how would you fight for your family? What, what will you do that you haven't done before for the people who are most suffering right now? I, I, I think that is how we transition our society, is mm. if enough of us start to look through, into the world with the eyes that Guru Nanak gave
0: us. Absolutely, absolutely. I, You said it so beautifully. Um, I last week was, and, and just the last few weeks since this whole situation has occurred, um, I've been more vocal on my social media about Black Lives Matter, because I believe that. Um, and there was last week, I had a beautiful sister on Michelle Sahin from Privilege to Progress. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about the work that they're doing. And the difference between people saying all lives matter, black lives matter, people are saying sick lives matter, like these are all new hashtags that are coming out. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I want to just take a minute to just share my perspective because I ended up losing like I think three or 4,000 followers on my social media because now I'm all <gasps> oh, black lives matter. And for me that I was glad to say bye to those people. Yes. Um, wow. the for me that it's no different is because our beginning step. In Sikki is Ik Oankar. And that means to see oneness in everything and everybody around us. You know, Viru, you know that I lost my brother a few years ago and he was murdered. He was murdered in cold blood in England. And when I saw the video of George Floyd sat and I watched it, it took a lot of strength to actually watch it. My eyes only saw my brother. I couldn't see anything else, and it's it is our fight. It is my fight. It is your fight. It is our fight as a com because that is that is us out in the street, right? We can't sit back and do nothing. So, to wander is part of our darum of who we are, and I love that you've shared that with us as to how we can make those steps into that space of wondering, because it takes courage, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to separate your own insecurities and say, okay, are we one? We are one, right? And to to build build those steps. Um, You've talked in your book about ingrained stereotypes. And I wanna ask you, how can we rewire our brain towards those stereotypes, because those are the things that allow us to separate ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think Sikhi gives us the solution, right?
1: The the fact that when we sit in our Gurdwaras, we're not necessarily listening to lectures or stories or sermons. The primary way that we worship is... um, through kirtan, it's through the sound current, through these shabads that are supposed to open our hearts and our minds over and over and over and over and over and over over again. We listen to kirtan like we're supposed to be just swimming in kirtan. And the kirtan, if we're really listening to it, it's it's returning us to this state of wondering in praise of Vaikuru around us and inside of us. And if 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 we are allowing ourselves to be changed by the kirtan, then we when we walk out of the gurdwara or when we step out of the home to to then orient to all others through the eyes of wonder and love is already drawing us into seva and to, into justice work. But we have to be willing to be changed by that practice. And I think I think I think perhaps there's too many of us now who. You know, fall into a trap that's so easy that we do it because it's ritual, it's, you know, it's habit, it's, uh, we don't, we're not dropping in. Um, but anytime I see us dropping in and letting ourselves being changed by our own Bonnie, <laughs> then I, I begin to see six breaking new ground in ways I haven't seen before. And so it's practice, it's practice, it's practice. And so even just walking down the street, in my mind, I walk down the street and I say, brother, sister, vid, banji, beta, you know, nanaji. When I see grandfathers and grands, if I can start to train my eye to see black people and Latinx people and white people as part of me, it 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 starts to help me live into what Gurbani is teaching us. But it's Mm -hmm. practice. It's like over and over and over again. And and that means that you know oneness when we say we're not one that doesn't mean we are the same. Mm-hmm. And when when Sikhs want to say all lives matter or sick lives matter that's actually denying the very specific suffering and oppression of the black community. And and I get it like it it actually took me a while to wake up to this that I thought okay every society is organized on a hierarchy of human value. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that in the United States <laughs> the oldest and most insidious hierarchy of human value is uh, is anti-Black racism, that white supremacy exists because it assumes, it makes us all buy into the idea that Black people in this country are disposable. Mm. And so I knew that, and I've struggled. I've worked with my Black advocates and my sisters and brothers on solitary confinement or stop and frisk or racial profiling. I knew that, and yet I still had this idea in my mind that all of our struggles were you know, like equal. Like, okay, there's um, the struggle for women and for queer rights and for Sikhs and Muslims, and all of our struggles for, are bound up in one bigger struggle for liberation, and they all intersect, and they're all given equal weight. That's what I thought for many years, until I started to wake up to the fact that, no, 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 they're not equal, that, that anti-black racism as the oldest and most insidious form of that hierarchy of human values in our country is where racism against my community comes from. And so if I'm going to end racism, if I'm going to liberate us,
0: Mm.
1: the only way I can do that is if I center Black lives in my work. But I don't do it just for them or, or just like just for us. I, I do it out of love, because they are also our sisters and brothers, and we must love them. And I'll give you an example. I remember I was sitting um, a few blocks away from our old house um, that you when we first met, when you visited me in Manhattan Beach. And I was sitting in, at, a, at a restaurant, and I could hear the words, um, and I'm sorry to say this, nigger at the table next to me. And I wanted to get up. There's five white men, and they were just spewing this. And I had to look at them and say, not bigot you are my uncles you are my uncles so I walked over to them and I said I'm so sorry but I'm hearing what you're saying and I want you to know that people my family my community have been killed by those who have said this word I need to know what that means to me and first they were defensive and then I said I see you as my uncles and that's why I came over to talk to you so that you would see me as your sister or your daughter and that started to change how they and then I thought something had been done, and maybe it had, but one of them stayed behind. His name was Steve. And Steve said, look, you're not a sad nigger, fine. But if you line up 10 black people, seven of them are niggers and three of them are people. What? And I said, I'm so sorry. You're telling me that not, not every person is a person?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, no, not to me. I woke up there just so. I woke up. I said, oh, The the words Black Lives Matter is not true on its face for people like Steve. When he sees a Black person, he does not see a human being. He has shut down his capacity to wonder and therefore to love. And I realize that the word nigger is inside of the word sand nigger. That racism that we face on the soil comes from the same insidious uh, assumption that black people are disposable. That's how white supremacy operates. And so from that that moment on, I I realized like that's what we have to do as six to to center black lives. And that doesn't mean we still don't fight for human rights abuses or fight against hate crimes. But if we can operate with that awakefulness Mm -hmm. around where hatred against our community comes from, then we can start building solidarity and show up for others in one great multi-faith, multi-racial movement instead of just feeling like we're just fighting for ourselves all the time.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. And thank you for having the courage to, to actually apply that, right? Because often the theory is different to the practice. We can assume how we would act in a particular way, but when put in that situation, oftentimes we don't lean in to do the right thing. And when we hold ourselves accountable, yes, it's a practice. We have to, like picking up your Dilrubah, right? It Mm -hmm. has to be continuous. You have to go back and sharpen the sword. And if we want to change our vision and truly become Ekongar, then we have to hold ourselves accountable like this. And I think you said it in such a beautiful way that when we're going out there, how are we seeing people? What is our lens? And once that lens is that this is my family, these are my people, there is no difference, I think that is a huge step to bringing in that oneness. And what gives
1: me hope is that there are more of us now doing that than ever before. Hmm. When I was a little girl, I had this, you know, this voice of Dr. King in my ear that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And because my family had been in this country for so long, I just had this idea of linear progress. Like it was like one straight line, and it was just gonna get better and better. <laughs> And that idea, of course, started to fall apart in the aftermath of 9/11, when we like suddenly felt like, and then certainly since 2016, and now amidst like global pandemic, 110,000 people have been killed in the United States from this virus. Disproportionately, Black people hate violence against Asian Americans during COVID, and then still hate violence against six 16- and Muslim Americans in this country are are as just as high as they were in the aftermath. And like, if we had the story of linear progress, and we are just sliding back into darkness. But if we think of the story of America as one long labor, Mm. then we have a different view. That progress in labor is cyclical, not linear, cyclical. And so this moment that we're in right now, this crisis that we're in right now, it may feel like 1968, it may feel like 1992. Mm. For some of us, it may feel like the aftermath of 9-11. And certainly for six who have carried the traumas of, of 1947 and 1984, it's like how many more you know, crises are we going to be in? It may feel the same as it was before. But in labor, every turn through the cycle opens up a little bit more space for equality and justice and gets us a little bit closer to what is wanting to be born. And so what I'm seeing now that I have never seen before is that there are so many of us not just Black folks, there are non, non-Black people of color like us, there's Asian Americans, there's Sikh Americans, there's white allies, white accomplices in the streets flooding, the streets calling for justice. I don't know how many, turns the, how many more turns to the cycle it's going to take. Mm. But I do know I want to do my part to breathe and to push, because progress doesn't happen unless we are pushing during the contractions. Mm. <laughs> so we as six, what do we need to do to be able to push? And how can we make ourselves known as the warrior sages that we are? Because I think if we do that, then it will help our own struggles too. It will help us with civil rights and human rights abuses in the US, in the UK, in India, everywhere we are, if we are seeing that we are not alone, if we are Mm -hmm. building relationships with other communities so that they know that they have our backs as we are having their backs. That only happens when we are brave enough to grieve together to rage together, to rise together—that's how revolutions are born.
0: Wow, I I just love listening to you, Vito. You're you're incredible, and I know that everybody's enjoying the wonderful wisdom that you're sharing with us. What was it that inspired you to walk a path of activism, knowing that it's not going to be easy, no. knowing that? I, d- I, I didn't know how hard it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Remember, it's so, so long.
1: It's linear. Like, it's just going to get right. better and better. We just have to fight. And I, I you know, this question that I asked after the, the 2016 election is really the question that I'm holding on to every day. Is this the future is dark? You know, the future is dark. Is this darkness in our nation, in our world? Is this the darkness of the tomb or the darkness of the womb? And just so I, it is both. Right now it is both. When we have seen so much death and devastation, we'll never be able to bring our loved ones back or George Floyd back or any of the people who have been killed during this pandemic or at the hands of state violence. We won't be able to bring them back. And yet on the other side of this, I just, I feel, I see glimpses of the nation, the society, the world that is longing to be born. Mm. It is is the vision that the Guru put in our hearts a a, a Sangat, a beloved community where each and every one of us are seen and respected and held and loved, where we are, where our dignity and our wellness matters. Mm -hmm. I, I think if we can try to live into it now in our small ways, in our, I call them pockets of revolutionary love. If we can create our own pockets of revolutionary love in our gurdwaras, in our homes, in our classrooms, in our communities, then revolutions don't just happen in big grand moments. They happen in places where people are coming together to inhabit a new way of being. So maybe if enough of us and this is really why I call on six to play a leading role here. If enough of us are inhabiting the world as it ought to be, then we can presage the world to come for all of us.
0: Mm. And then we can all learn to see no stranger. Yes. Right. That's and we do it in Jardikala. <laughs> right. That's what our gurus
1: taught us too. Like, we do it in Jardikala. Like, what does that mean? We do it in Jardikala. <laughs> right. when I come home from a memorial, from a, another mass shooting, from, uh, from another death, from another, like, h- how are we supposed to stay in Chardikala when it is this dark and this dire? What does that mean? And I really, can I tell you, I learned the meaning of Chardikala, really the meaning when I was in Oak Creek. Hmm. Baba Punjab Singh, many of us know, was a great orator before he was shot by a white supremacist in the Oak Creek Gurdwara in 2012. And he did not die. He did not die, but he was so wounded that he was paralyzed. He could not move, he could not speak. And not just one year, not two years, not three years, but almost eight years in this condition. And every year I would make my pilgrimage and I would go to his hospital bed and I would sit next to him and I would take his hand. And his eyes were always so vibrant, just bright bright eyes and I would braid his hair and we would sing shabbats and every time his son Ragvinder Virji Ragvinder would ask him, Papaji are you in Jardikala and this Babaji who cannot move who cannot speak, he can only blink his eyes once for no and twice for yes he would always blink his eyes yes I'm in Jardikala wow And just so I think if, if Baba Punjab Singh can be, could, could stay in Chardikla, right. Then so can I, and then so can all of us, Mm. you know, Charbikala is usually translated as like um, optimism or relentless hope or endless. And I used to translate it like that too. But what I learned from, from Oak Creek and from, from him was that Charbikala is not really about the future. It's about the present. It's about rising, this ever rising spirits, even in darkness, this this joyfulness, even in the struggle, even in the labor. Baba Benjab Singh died in that condition. And yet his love and his insistence on loving and staying in Chardikala outlasts even his life. And it's a lesson to, to us. Yes. I know that injustice has gone on long before I was born. And I know it will go on after I die. So how do I last if I won't be able to live long enough to see the fruits of my labor? I last if I ground my life in Charvikala, in joyfulness. And that gives me energy to keep showing up and doing my part in the labor. And then the labor is not just a means to an end. It's it's an end in itself. It's how, it's a way of being in the world. And Sikhi was never about beliefs that we hold. It was about a way of moving through the world, wondering, wondering about others, grieving with others, fighting for others, breathing with others, loving others, rising up with others in the spirit of Chardikala.
0: You've met some incredible people in your journey. And you mentioned Rana Sodhi. I don't think that many people know who Rana Sodhi is. Mm. And I think he's a very important person, same as Baba Punjab Singh. Can you please tell us about Rana Singh Saudi? Rana Soudi came
1: to the US shortly after 1984 to escape the curfews and the disappearances and all the human rights abuses that we saw mm-hmm. after 1984. He came to America to, for a better, safer life for his children. And his older brother, Bobir Singh Sordi, was standing in front of his gas station in Mesa, Arizona, when there were four shots fired. And Bobir uncle was, he died where he fell. And the man who killed him, Frank Roke, said, I'm a patriot. Arrest me and let those terrorists go wild. I'm a patriot. And Ranaji, in the aftermath of his brother's death, did everything he possibly could, went to every school auditorium, every church, every interfaith conference to tell Bobby your uncle's story so that no one else would die. Mm. Just a year later, his other brother, Sukhpal Sodhi, was also killed while driving a cab in San Francisco. They don't know the motive of the crime. We'll never know whether it was a hate crime or not. But now now Rana had lost two brothers to violence in this country, and yet he Mm. still showed up, still told the story. And 15 years after Bobir uncle's death, I was standing with Rana at the gas station where Babir uncle was killed. And it really, it has become a site of pilgrimage. I, I want every sick to go to this gas station in, in Arizona, and see a plaque where um, the family had written that they were honoring Bobir Uncle, and they were honoring all the people who had been killed on 9/11 and its aftermath. And we were standing at this memorial, and we were placing our flowers on the ground, the candles on the ground. And I was telling Bobir Uncle, like he was this family I had known long before 9/11. So I was telling Bobir Uncle in my mind that you know, my my son will know your name. I will never stop fighting to make sure the world knows your name. And Rana Sodhi, I looked at him and Rana looked at me and he was just, nothing has changed. All these years, nothing has changed. And I asked Rana-ji, who is the one person we have not yet tried to love?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Would you talk to Frank Roke if you could? And Rana-ji said, yes. Yes, why wouldn't I?
0: Wow.
1: The next morning we called Frank Roke, Bobir uncle's murderer in prison. And we asked him why we chose to wonder even about him. We asked him why. And at first he was so defensive. Oh, yes, I am I am, sorry for what happened to your brother, but I'm also sorry for all the people killed on 9-11. He wasn't taking responsibility. I was starting to feel angry, mm-hmm. this really serious rage, and I almost like to protect Rana. And maybe because I was so angry and like a guardian in a way that Ranaji had space and time to keep wondering about Frank and listen to Frank. And he heard something that I couldn't hear. Ranaji said, Frank, this is the first time I've heard you say you were sorry. And Frank said, yes, I am sorry for what I did to your brother. And when I go to heaven to be judged by God, I will ask to see your brother and I will hug him. And I will ask for his forgiveness. And Ranaji said, we've already forgiven you. Wow. Just so I learned from this family that forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is freedom from hate.
0: Hmm.
1: And that it's a process. Right. Right. It took us 15 years to make that phone call. We had to reckon with our own grief and our own rage. We had to receive so much love from from others. There had to be someone in the prison who was loving Frank and helping Frank um, take responsibility and reckon with what he had done. And so much had to happen. So much healing had to happen before we could even come together to begin that process of forgiveness and then reconciliation. So... This is what I wish for everyone to know is that everyone has a different role in the labor of revolutionary love. This may be, I, I define revolutionary love as a choice to love others, your opponents, and yourselves. This may be a time, like so many of us, to love ourselves really well in the face of so much oppression. This may be a time where you feel safe enough to to reach out and talk to some opponents in your life. Mm. There may, this may be a time to say, I can't talk to them, but maybe I can give permission to others to talk to them. Or this may be a time to love others, to stand in solidarity in ways that we haven't before. Everyone has a role in the labor of revolutionary love and revolutionary love can only be practiced in community. That's what Rana Sodi taught me. Wow.
0: I've met him, And he's like a a saint. He's such a beautiful person. And to endure so much, but to still be grateful, to be in that Jardikala, I think that's the ultimate test. And that's what being a Sikh is about for me. I love that the experiences that Guru's given to you in your journey on this path of activism for you, but what I call your Sikhi. Mm. Brought you to a point where you could put this knowledge to paper?
1: Yes, all of, all of those stories, every story, Ranaji's story too. It's, it's all like, you know, just so I really feel like for so much of my adult life, I was afraid that I was going to die with all the music still inside me. Mm. And I am so relieved and so grateful that whatever I have to offer, whatever I have witnessed, whatever courage I have beheld, um, I was able to finally fold into the pages of a book, and it's on the outside of me. (laughs) So like a third child, now its job is to go out and do its work in the world and let me
0: rest a little bit. (laughs) Yes, Yes. and for, for everybody who might just be joining us now or you didn't catch earlier on, Valerie Gore, my beautiful sister, has written an incredible book which releases in a couple of days. And we reach to you to ask you to join this movement of supporting revolutionary love. Please go to seenostranger.com and pre-order your copy because, I, like I said earlier, I'm going to be buying them all after <laughs> this is done. I, I'm i grateful for all of the wisdom and everything that you're sharing. Like, I'm, I'm so deeply moved. I... I was privileged to have witnessed you live on the stage of TED Women a few years ago and you shook the room, you shook the ground with the power of the spirit of Jardikala within you. You brought Grunanak and my Maipago to that stage with you and I felt such immense pride to know that we can share our legacy, we can share our stories in a different way. And that's given me courage. So I know every single person who's going to read that book is going to feel that same spirit of courage and chardikala. And it is exactly what we need at the moment. And can you tell us a little about what what was that point of bringing the stories out, putting pen to paper? You know, I think my,
1: um, I think since I was a, since I was in adolescence, there has been a voice in my head that, you know, says you're, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not white enough or fair enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not sick enough. You're not enough. And it, it took me a long time to begin to hear that voice in me. And I noticed that that voice would get very quiet when I was with my sisters and giving them advice or telling them what I see them as. And after my first child was born, after Kabi was born, I would say, oh, my love, you are good and you are beautiful and you are in the way that we talked about beta. <laughs> and and Shara, my husband was like, why don't you talk to yourself that way? <laughs> and I realized, oh, I have to practice. And so I started to call, like, when I was talking to my sisters, talking to my children, I would become this very wise woman. So I started to call her wise woman. And I started to write in this journal. And I said, well, if I if I'm going to talk to myself, If I'm going to, Audre Lorde, the great black feminist says, we must learn to mother ourselves. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to mother myself and I have to practice. (laughs) So every day I've been writing in this journal, wise woman here. Wise woman says, oh, my love. She always calls me like, my love. Just like you call me or I call you. It's like, oh, my love. You are tired today. It's okay. This is what we're going to do. Breathe. You got this. And she always tells me, you are brave enough. You are brave enough. Like on the birthing table. When it's so painful and I can't push, you are brave enough. On election night, when it feels like the world is ending, wise woman, you are brave enough. At the onset of this pandemic, what's going to happen? What will become of us? You are brave enough. In the hours before I gave that TED talk, or in these days before I'm releasing this book into the world. And I little little critic, I call this that little critic voice. It's the little critic. They're going to eat you alive. <laughs> Get small. You know, I, I realized mm. that that little critic was just trying to protect me all this time. And I, all I have to do, I wanted to, remember, I wanted to banish the little critic from my mind. And the wise woman said, no, no, we still need this little guy. We just don't need him in charge. It's time to put the wise woman on the throne. And let me lead you all our days, and just so I'll never forget i I brought you and Narinjan my two sisters, my six sisters together, and we held a ceremony together by rocks and hot water, and we put the wise woman on the throne on the throne. yes, and we said we will I will be faithful for, to you for all of my days, mm-hmm. even when I'm scared. I will hear you tell me that I am brave enough to show up again and again and again. So it's three days before my book releases into the world. The little critic is like, and the wise woman now is saying, oh, my love, you're enough. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. Surrender. Trust and surrender that this book will get to where it needs to go and bring out the wise woman in others, the deepest wisdom in others.
0: Mm-hmm. in this space you're held and I know that there's a lot of support here from me I say to you my sister my love you're brave you are strong <sighs> and this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful journey that we need to take together and we're with you we're all here our Sangath to support you we're going to be going out there we're going to buy the book we're going to be here when you need us because that's what Sangat does. And that's how we show up for each other. And I'm, I'm so honored to be a part of that book, a part of that program. <laughs> I tell our story in here too. <laughs> I tell the story about our ceremony in that final chapter. Oh, so, okay. If you want to learn about our sisterhood, you definitely need to go get the book. <laughs> you definitely need to read it because it was magical. That's the only word that comes to mind whenever I see you or speak to you is magical. The whole of our story has been dreamlike. I think one day there'll be a Disney movie made on us, okay? Or like <laughs> some sort of a magical movie made on us, okay? Just so in vivo. Just <laughs> so Yes. The warriors of our time. That's what it will be called. <laughs> we just named it. What if all
1: of our six sisters could see their lives that way? Tell their own hero stories, their own great love stories. What if we could all of us live our life as if it was one epic love story? Isn't that what Guru wanted for us?
0: Yes. Yeah. And this is a chance for us to rewrite that narrative. We don't have to continue those broken systems and broken patterns. And this is a time that we need strong, female, Sikh leadership. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what you represent to me. And that holds me accountable. Mm-hmm. That. When I see my sisters come forward with such strength, in order to show up for you, I need to be able to hold you and mirror the strength as well. Mm-hmm. I can't just want to hide in your shadows because I'm not supportive to you then. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do communally. We need to, we need to show up the same way. We need to educate ourselves. We need to arm ourselves, right? Yes. With our with our pens, yeah. with our, you know, the swords of this time. I wanna ask you, as six, how do you see our role in this fight for justice? Mm. I see us leading this fight for justice. I see us
1: leading it. Leading it. Drawing on our deepest bravery and our deepest wisdom. And we know what it's like we know what it's like to be at the brunt of oppression. We know how much our gurus had to sacrifice. We know how much our ancestors, our grandparents had to survive in the partition. We know my, my papaji survived not just the riots and the, and, and the massive violence of partition. He also survived the pogroms of 1984. And so I inherit not just his, you know, they, there's such a thing as intergenerational trauma, I inherit not just his trauma, I inherit his bravery. And we as six, we inherit our ancestors' bravery. All that they suffered and all that they were able to survive has produced resilience that runs through our veins. Mm. It's time to tap the depth of our own bravery and resilience to stand up now, not to get small, not to listen to that little critic, but to listen to the the wise woman, the woman warrior, the maipago in us who will take our hand and say, No, no, do not abandon your post. As six, do not abandon your post. I lead you back into the battlefield. The world is a battlefield right now. Our black sisters and brothers, and they need us now. All the people who are struggling under COVID, they need us now. All of the poor people, all of the people who don't have the tools, who need our love, they need us now. They need you now. Mm -hmm. I think it is a lie to think, oh, if I stand up for them, if I stand up for others, I'll not be able to stand up for my own family or my community. No, the heart is a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. Love has no limit. Revolutionary love, the love that Gnana called us to has no limit. There is enough love to protect ourselves, to protect our children and our nanas and nannies and our mommies and daddies and our (laughs) uncles and aunties. There's enough love to protect us well and protect all of the black people and the brown people and the undocumented people and the poor people in our lives, in our neighborhoods who need us now. When I think about the labor for justice, there is a rhythm to it. How do we last? There is a rhythm to it. The the midwife, she doesn't say breathe once and push the rest of the way. No, she (laughs) says breathe and then push and then breathe again. Hmm. We will be able to labor for injustice with love for all of the Ones around us who need us, if we fall into this, this rhythm, how are you breathing every day? Are you doing your kirtan? Are you listening to gurbani? Are you playing your dilrabah? Are you sleeping enough? Are you drinking enough water? Are you doing a little bit of pangra? Like whatever it is, why are you
0: breathing each
1: day? And then, okay, how, do, how are you pushing? How are you going to show up? It may be uncomfortable. You may be doing things you never thought you'd be doing before. I never thought I'd be in the street holding up a sign. I never thought that I would be donating this to this organ. Whatever it is, to push yourself and know that discomfort is a sign that you are going in the right direction. And then breathe again. And then push again. And then breathe again. And then push again.
0: Hmm. I'm so, I'm so enjoying this. I don't can wanna... I tell
1: you one last story? Of course you can. You can. Tell I forget me. this, right? I forget how to laugh. I forget this. And Kavi, Kavi was four years old. He's five now. So this is just a few months ago. He was four years old when he heard his first racial slur. He was sitting on my dad's shoulders, so his Nana's shoulders, coming home from a, a concert in the park. Mm-hmm. And he was standing uh, at a ferry waiting to board the ferry to cross the marina to come home. He was so excited, you know, ride a boat. And he heard an irate voice and they turned in this woman, this white woman was having this argument with the ferry conductor. And my father ever, he's so sweet. You know, my dad, he's so kind. And he's always trying to be hopeful. So he was like, Oh, excuse me. You could go this way instead. And the woman turned around, looked at my dad and said, go back to the country you came from. And my dad is hard of hearing right now so Gavi had to whisper in his ear what the lady had said wow. they come home and my parents are shaken and as i'm putting kavi to sleep that night i am just asking him where do you feel the sadness in your body and he says right here mommy and so i kiss it and it feels a little bit better and i think he's going to sleep and finally as he's falling asleep my mind begins to race i thought go back to the country you came from. I've documented hate crimes in this country for almost 20 years. And those are the words that precede the act of violence. Mm. The gun is shot, or the beating happens, or the stabbing. Those are the words that precede violence. I realized I was lucky that they came home safe that day. And I thought, how much longer will we have to live in the state of siege when the president of the United States is saying these words, go back to the country, you came from, and I thought about all of the little black and brown children who are growing up in a nation that is so unsafe for them, and all the mothers who are holding them close. And my mind was just racing, just racing. And suddenly, Gubby puts his ear on my mouth and says, "Mommy, I not hear you breathing." He says, "You have to breathe to sleep, mommy." I said, "Oh, okay, Gubby." <gasps> and then he says, "Just breathe and push, mommy. Just breathe and push."
0: Oh, my little baby!
1: I never, honestly, just so I never, I you know, I didn't at this point. I wasn't telling Gubby what I was doing in the world. I didn't even know he he knew the words I say in the world. But in that moment, I thought, oh my god, my son has become my midwife.
0: (laughs) He is a little revolutionary love warrior.
1: But we do that for each other, right? And
0: the most unexpected places.
1: We remind each other when we forget, oh just breathe. Wise women, ancestors, sisters, our own children. We can all help each other. We can be midwives to each other. We can remind each other through this darkness, through this pain, through this fire, through this uncertainty. Just breathe, my love. Mm. Breathe and then push and then breathe again.
0: I think sometimes we forget. Like we've as a as a people, right? We've become a little bit Desensitized to when we hear these slurs, because for a lot of people that might not be a big deal. But what you said is really important because those are the words just before the terrible act. Those are the words just before. That's like the warning shot. Yes. And if we become deaf or numb to those words and say, oh, okay, they are saying it, we, we allow it and we might be able to survive it, but what do we leave behind? Mm-hmm. right and this is this is something that you've talked very often about and it reminds me of the accountability that we hold how would you how would you ask our community to show up in those moments when you hear something like that which you might just brush off and say it's okay you know it's not a big deal mhm yeah
1: i did ask my parents were there didn't anyone say anything they said no people were just standing by Just like last time when the racial slur was suicide bomber or sand nigger before that. So I think there are a lot of, I I think this is true for us too, right? Like we think of ourselves as good people. We think of ourselves as not racists. But as in the words of Angela Davis and now Ibram Kendi, this great thought leader, they're calling us not just to be not racist. We need to be anti-racists and to be anti-racist is to be ready. Just like that woman, when she said, go back to the country, she just grabbed that out of the air and she just flung it. You know, she didn't even have to think, it was just in the air. We mm. have to be just as ready, just poised, to stand up in the face of racism that's happening or violence that's happening right before our eyes. How do we prime ourselves? And didn't Guru teach us to be that ready? As sapai, we we're supposed to be ready in a minute to go into battle. To defend ourselves, defend others in the face of empire and oppression. Like we as Sikhs in the US and the UK, we have to be just as ready to stand up in these multiracial, multicultural societies to say, no, 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 this this is who we are. We protect each other. We defend each other. We bleed and fight for each other. That's what it means to be in this community. That's who I am as a Sikh. And so it's very simple. The 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 data on what, how what it means to not be a bystander is you stand up and you go immediately to the person who is being targeted, and you just take their side. Uh, you come to their side and you just walk with them. Walk 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 with them away. Mm. That's it. Act like you know them already. Act like they're already your brother or your friend, and say, "Oh, come, let's let's go." That's how you diffuse. You don't have to turn around and yell at the person. You just start to diffuse and protect the person who otherwise would be feeling so alone. Yeah. And I, I've seen this happen for us, and'll I'll, I'll leave you with this story. Um, one of my professors um, I miss him so much. He died a few years ago. He was a uh, Punjabi language professor at San Jose State University. And he was sitting on a bus after 9-11, shortly after 9-11, and he had received so many racial slurs. And he was sitting on that bus when a man in the front of the bus stood up, red in the face, turned around, and started yelling at Professor G. Go back, get off this bus, you terrorists. Go back to where you came from. And Professor G just sat very quiet, waiting for the moment to pass. The other people on the bus got up. They stood up. They came to Professor G's side and they calmed the man down and had the man sit down. And Professor G got off the bus, and the man got off this bus. And the man comes up to my professor and puts out his arm and takes his hand and shakes it and says, I just lost my granddaughter in the second plane that went into the second tower. Mm -hmm. I'm angry. I'm sorry. And what stays with me about that story is that we are the people on that bus. Mm -hmm. We are the ones who can stand up at a moment's notice and with our revolutionary love, completely transform the moment. And in this case, transform the oppressor. What might happen if we as a people rose up like that with that much bravery in our nation, in our society, in our communities, in our world right now. So many people like that's what's happening, this revolution that's underway. And just as people have stood up for us like that, I want six to be the first to stand up for them.
0: Yes. 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 And we are. We are. Mm -hmm. We just have to
1: get even a little bit more braver to help us stay in the fire and remind us who we are.
0: Yes. Yes. And so, so grateful great for everything, for everything shared. I have one more question. It's more of a gift that I ask if you can offer to everybody who's tuning in today. How to protect your joy every day? How do you do that and why is it important?
1: So what returns me to Jardikala, in other words? Basically i wish i could say oh yes i'm always listening to the wise woman in me and i live in all the time and that's how i (laughs) it is a daily struggle it is a daily struggle and i have to say that one of the gifts is um it's hard to have small children right now when we're all sheltering in place and to show up in this work it's really hard i mean My husband is with the babies now, you know, just so I can have this conversation with you, and so that they don't burst through the door. It's really hard, but one of the gifts of of having small children is that, you know, what they need is just they need joy, they need spaces where you're protecting delight and rejoicing, and so we have this practice in our home called Dance Time, and every night we're supposed to dance. I remember on election night, 2016, you know, one of the worst nights of my life. And as the horror was seizing my throat, as I was watching the election results come in, Kavi takes my sleeve and says, "Mommy, dance time." Oh, I looked at Shara; I was like, "We can't dance in a time like this." Um, and and Charitha was like, "It was your rules." <laughs> so we turned down the volume and we turned up the music. And at first, I was just, you know, we play bhangra sometimes, and sometimes we play. Baby, you're a firework. <laughs> so it's either, it's either, like it's either that, or it's baby, you're a firework. It's all, oh, I love it. it's all just on a playlist. So tonight it was the firework. And I was looking so miserable, so miserable, and just swaying. And then Gubby started to jump into my arms and squeal. And he started to make me spin around. And pretty soon, like he was laughing and I was laughing and he was dancing and I was dancing. And on, just so I was dancing, on election night. (laughs) And afterwards, I was filled with so much rising energy, like it was embodied, right? Mm -hmm. The, The joyfulness, it wasn't a betrayal, and it wasn't a denial of how dark and difficult things were and are. Joy returns us to everything that is good and beautiful and worth fighting for. Joy gives us energy for the long labor. And even now, you know, on the night that I saw George Floyd's video, we still had dance time. When we've lost people in our community from COVID, we we still have dance time. Mm -hmm. No matter how hard, there is still a reason to be grateful and to embrace what it feels like to be alive and to dance. And so I... Ask you, how are you protecting your joy every single day? How are you protecting your
0: joy every single day? How are you staying in Pardigla? I want everyone who's tuning in to think about that. I'll share mine. And you can write it in the chat, actually. I'll start to look at the chat. (laughs) Yes, you can do that. So my joy is Girthana. If if I don't pick up my dilruba or my Rabab every day, I don't feel like I can breathe. That's my my oxygen that keeps me connected with that gratitude and with that jardikala. And I think it's important that we all have something that allows us to feel that joy. I want to remind everybody, please go and support this beautiful book that we all need to read, See No Stranger at cnostranger.com and share it with all of the people in your life, the young people, the older people, your neighbours, everybody. It's something that we all need to connect with Siki. And yes, it's not a historical perspective of Siki, but it's a real lived experience of my beautiful sister Valerie, Valerie Gore, who for me is an inspiration and somebody who I love so dearly. I'm so grateful to you for being with us in this space. And I want you to know that we want you back as much as you want to be here. There's so much that we need to talk about. There's so much that I still want to ask you, but I am really grateful to have taken so much of your really limited time because I know the babies need you as well. Yes, I'll go and nurse the baby in just a moment. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But
1: oh, to be with my sister, uh, this today, this is what is returning me to Charatikala. It's giving me so much joy. and maybe just so, maybe because I have you're also my teacher. You're also my Dilruba teacher. Maybe I should get out my Dilruba
0: tonight <laughs> Yes, I, I approve of that. I approve of that <laughs> as, as an outcome of this beautiful conversation. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and for joining us and holding this space with us. And we do need your support to make this project reach every corner because every person across the world needs it. Can you show us the book one more time? Yes. I'll show you my my third baby one more time. It's upside down. Oh, it's... <laughs> sorry. You put your baby upside down.
1: <laughs> Here it is. So, see no stranger is in, is invoking Guru Nanak, a memoir because it's a tapestry of, of of stories, a manifesto because it is a call to action. And revolutionary love, because revolutionary love is how we birth a new world. And it's also how we last and stay in Charikla. So yes, it's see stranger.com. And I really can't wait. I'm looking at all of your comments right now. It's so beautiful to see. I'm reading them all. I really can't wait to hear about your own experience of reading this book. And so if you follow me on any of Instagram or Facebook or, or um, Twitter, any of those places, I want to be in communication with you because although we are apart and we are sheltering in place, I feel like we are like trees in the forest. We look as though we are standing apart, but we are deeply connected under the earth. Our roots are intertwined. And so any energy that I receive to you and any any, any energy I receive from you and any wisdom that I can I can give back to you. Oh, I that would bring me that would bring me even more joy to be in community like that. So, if you buy the book, please do so. We'll have book clubs and all of that um, community building will happen on on social media in the days and the months to come.
0: Yes, please let's build sangat and share our experiences that we connect with through this beautiful book. Valerie, I love you so much, and I'm so grateful for this. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on Core Voices today. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in.